Those of you joining us online, my name is Jacob. So good to have you with us. If we haven't had a chance to meet and you're in the room, and maybe it's your first time here as a result of the baptisms, and you're like, golly, man, like we're all on top of each other. I got some really good news. On February the 25th, we have our first service, our grand opening at our brand new location. Can we give God some praise? To make room for more people to hear the good news of Jesus. And so if it is your first time here, we want you to know this is a place that you can call home. We would love to have you jump on this wild and crazy ride that we're on, seeing God's faithfulness show up over and over and over again over the last six years. We're in this series called New Growing Fresh Faith, where we're talking about four pillars of growth that we're praying for, believing for in 2024. And it starts with spiritual growth because we know that spiritual growth is the foundation to all healthy growth in our life. And then week two, we looked at emotional maturity and emotional responses and how when we submit our lives to spiritual growth and the power of the Holy Spirit, it changes our emotional response to others. And then last week, we looked at relational growth and how we grow in relationship. How do we actually love our neighbor as ourselves? And today, we're going to talk about growing in community. I'm going to jump straight into the word. It's found in Acts chapter 2. We're going to pick up at verse 1. And to give you a little bit of context for where we are in history, Jesus, the Son of God, has stepped down from his throne and taking on human form. He has died on a cross for all of our sins. He was buried in a tomb, but he has been raised from the dead. And he walks 40 days on the earth, revealing himself to those that were followers of him and to the world around him. But he has now ascended back to heaven and is at the right hand of the Father. So what we have left is 11 of Jesus' disciples. And this is reading about what we would call the Day of Pentecost, which was a Jewish festival where people would gather together to celebrate. Jewish people would gather together to celebrate all that God had done and was doing and believing for more. So it says this, when the day of Pentecost came, the first day of Pentecost after the resurrection of Jesus, they were all, everyone say all, all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation. Everyone say every. From every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one had heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Regaia, and Amphilia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Serene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of our God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Let's pause here for a minute. God is using this event, this festival, this celebration of Pentecost, 
to launch what we call the New Testament church. The church that would exist after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. And we are functioning as a New Testament church here and now today. We didn't make all of this up. It has existed for thousands of years. What we're doing is practicing biblical disciplines in our life. But I want you to see the diversity of the community represented. We read off all of these wild names, but I think the visual, at least for me, is helpful in recognizing how diverse the community was that gathered on the day of Pentecost as Peter goes on to preach the first message the church will ever hear. You see it scattering from as far as Rome and the continent of Asia all around the place, creating this very diverse gathering on the day of Pentecost. And, and as we read, there's speaking in other tongues, which I know makes a whole lot of people uncomfortable. So let's give a little bit of context here. If you go way back into the creation story, mankind became very prideful had a lot of hubris, and, and this group of people decided that they were so special, they were going to build the Tower of Babel, a tower that would reach heaven so that they could be on the same playing field as God. Now, there is only one God, and God is in control, and so God said, uh, not today. <laughs> so not only did he ruin their plan to build a tower all the way to be on the same level as him, he split them into different groups so that their hubris would stop, so that their pride would no longer be. And one of the ways that he split them into groups is he gave them different languages so that they could not understand one another. But on the day of Pentecost, when the message of Jesus Christ, our redemptive Savior, is being preached by Peter in the New Testament church for the very first time, God wanted everyone to be able to understand the words that were being spoken. So he gave them the divine gift of other tongues so that everyone present could hear and understand this truth, God is for everyone, everywhere. The message of Jesus Christ is for everyone, everywhere. It's why the E in merge stands for that very value. We believe that we are to share the good news of Jesus with everyone, everywhere we go. So this is a really diverse group of people. And how many of you know that one of the challenges of living in community is the diversity that is often represented by community. Let's pick back up in verse 14. It says this, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's skip down to verse 37. Peter keeps preaching the good news of Jesus, and here's what happens. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. 
and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we're so thankful for what you've already done in this place today. We are so thankful for those that have taken their next step and letting the world know that they belong to the one true living God. We lift you up and we glorify you in this place. And God, I pray that all that you've already done in this place would propel us into a place where we would desire to open up our hearts and our minds to receive the power of your word. We give you all the praise, honor, and thanksgiving. And everybody said a great big. I want us to recognize this truth. We see Peter and the 11 and they're gathered and they step out and they speak this message It's 11 guys. It's a small group. The disciples used to reach a large group. Scripture told us about 3,000 people came to know Jesus and were baptized on this day, not including women and children. And then here's what's really crazy. This 3,000 that accepted Christ then spread into Jerusalem all around the city, sharing the revelation that they have found the Messiah, and another 5,000 are added to that number just a few days later. A small group of 11 is used to reach a large group that's really probably closer to 7 or 8,000. That 7 or 8,000 goes on to reach a group that's probably 10 or 12,000 that's represented all across this map so that they can take and carry the good news of Jesus with them back to the places they came from. What's the point? God uses communities, not individuals, to reach the world. It's a community of 11 guys gathered together, used to reach a community of 3,000 plus, and that community goes on to reach 5,000 plus, and that community goes on to reach the nations from which they came. God uses communities, not individuals, to reach the world. It's why we gather as this community, and it's why we also break into smaller communities so that we can see heaven crowded, so that we can see the kingdom of God working in and through our individual lives. This is a community committed to reaching the world. I'll say it like this. We don't want to be a church that's for us. We want to be a church that's for the world. Why? Because on the day that the church was launched, God made it abundantly clear that he is for everyone everywhere. And he had a desire for his message to not just be heard, but for it to be understood by all of those that are present. The church is the only institution on earth that exists for the benefit of those that aren't yet a part of it. We don't want to be a church for us. We want to be a church that is for the world. But it's a challenge. Because just as it's a diverse group represented in Acts chapter 2, it's a diverse group represented in our communities. Different backgrounds, different histories, different family makeups, different work experiences, different exposures, different hurts, different regrets, different struggles, different wins, and different losses. It's the beauty and the challenge of great community. But I want you to hear this. In this house, we don't run from a challenge. We don't back down when it gets hard. We recognize that community is God's plan 
That community is one of the keys to growing us as individuals, but community is also the key to growing the kingdom of heaven on this earth. So we're committed to community. I want you to see this. It's like the ABCs of community. It's part of what makes community difficult. The ABCs of community, the A is for accountability. Challenging one another to greater things. Challenging each other to keep pushing, to keep pressing, to keep fighting. I remember showing up for seventh grade basketball at Butterfield Junior High. For those of you that didn't play boys seventh grade basketball, what you may not know is that 487 kids show up for seventh grade basketball, all convinced they're going to be the next LeBron James. You couldn't pay me enough money to be a seventh grade basketball coach. I can't imagine trying to corral all of them. And if you're not familiar with the gymnasium at Butterfield Junior High, what you have to understand is it contains a whole lot of stairs. So for the first four weeks of seventh grade boys basketball at Butterfield Junior High, we did not dribble a basketball. We did not talk about a basketball. We did not shoot a basketball. In fact, we were not allowed to look at a basketball. No, we ran up, across, down, and around, up, across, down, and around, up, across, down, and around. Why? Because the coach needed to find out who was willing to be accountable to the team. He had 457. He needed seven. And he knew that those that were left standing, whether they were great basketball players or not, those left standing at the end of four weeks of up, across, down, and around were willing to live within a real team with accountability one to another. In our faith journey, our relational journey, it takes us being committed one to another in much the same way. You need some people in your life that you know will run the race to the very end. They won't give up just because the stairs show up. They'll go up, across, down, and around with you. They'll go through the good, but they'll also go through the bad. They'll stick around, and that's where we find accountability one to another and the ability to challenge each other. See, what happens after you whittle down 457 to 7 is you get in the middle of a season, and things aren't always going right, and you begin to learn that it isn't just the coach's job to hold the team accountable. It's the team's job to hold the team accountable. It's your job as a fellow person on the team to look at your teammate and say, no, 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 we take charges and we block out on rebounds on this team because we're not good enough not to. We dive on the floor and we hustle. We respond differently. The accountability in your spiritual life needs to come from those that are intimately around you, genuinely doing life with you. It's important that we get to know each other well, and I recognize the fact that it only took 11 to spark something that would reach the world. It might be a little bit of a hint that you need somewhere around 11 or 12 people, give or take, to be a part of a group that's creating some accountability in your life because that is a small enough group for you to actually get to know them well, which matters because you you don't want to challenge and create accountability with strangers. If you challenge a stranger, it's received as criticism. 
because you don't know the diversity of their background. You don't know their hurts, their challenges, their experiences, their exposure. You don't know their wins and their losses. You've got to find some people that know the good and the bad of your life so that they can create healthy accountability for you. The A is accountability. The ABCs of community. The B is belonging. We believe that there's a place for you no matter where you are on your journey. You may be completely skeptical of Christianity and church and community and Jesus. And can I tell you, if that's you, there's still a place for you here. There's a place for you to belong as you're figuring it all out and questioning it and and being uncertain and unsure. I picture these 11 disciples gathered together on this day of Pentecost and they're about to celebrate and they're getting ready, but they're looking around and they're missing their leader. I picture them thinking to themselves, we've given up our life to follow Jesus, yet he isn't here and we aren't really sure what to do. I picture them feeling like their life was working out the way they intended it to, then all of a sudden it changed. I don't know about you, but I have those experiences in my life, it seems like frequently. I think I have it all figured out and then all of a sudden, I'm just not real sure. And there's still a place for me to belong in the community, whether I'm the skeptic, whether I'm mature in my journey, whether I've just accepted Jesus and I don't yet know which way to go. There is a place for you to belong that is part of community. Accountability, belonging in the C and the ABCs of community is care. Community is the front line of care in your life. People that don't just know when you're winning, but people that know when you're losing and when life is really difficult. Recently, my dad's heart, it got a little bit off. It got a little out of whack, and he ends up in the hospital. And you're you're going through all the stuff, the feelings, the emotions, the doubts, the wonders, the faith moments where you're expressing belief that it's all going to be okay. And there's moments of joy and sadness and tears and all of those different things. But what's really incredible is that it wasn't on my sister and me. It wasn't on my mom. It wasn't on my uncles. It wasn't on any of us to figure out how to best care for my dad. And the reason it wasn't on any of us is because years ago when we were first planning the church, my mother and my father stepped out in faith and they started what we now call groups. They started a group where they found 12, 15 people that gather together regularly, that love each other, and that care for one another. So the calls, the texts, the hospital visits, the drives to northwest Arkansas to get medication, the food, it all showed up without anyone asking by simply expressing the need, by simply communicating the moment of low. But they got there not because they're the mom and dad of the pastor of a church. They got there because they believed in the power of community. And they stepped out in faith and they created a group of people around them that live in accountability, that give people a place to belong, and that operate and function in caring for one another. I tell group leaders when they're new and they're just getting started in the journey, and this sounds really pessimistic, and I don't mean it that way. It's actually encouraging if you can process it and get to the bottom of it. If you launch a group, it takes something bad happening to one of the group members for the group to really become a group. 
because you don't have the C in the ABCs of community until you have opportunity to care for one another. I pictured the disciples in all of their fretting and their uncertainty and their worry and their angst. And, and like, man, is God still with us? Is he still for us? What are we called to? Are we seriously going to see 8,000 plus people come to know Jesus in just a few weeks? I can't imagine. I don't know what to do. And how do we do all of this? But I picture them caring for one another. Doing it together. In fact, when you read the stories of the disciples, what you learn is they were real brothers. They fought and they fussed, but they never gave up on each other. In fact, they were willing to die for the cause that Jesus Christ had given them. And they would have never gotten to that place in their faith had they not lived in real community. The ABCs, accountability, belonging, and care. I want you to understand that we're not just praying for community in 2024. We're praying for bold community. The disciples step out, and I see all of this miraculous thing. I mean, eight to 20,000 people coming to know Jesus in just a week. I picture them, man, they're, like they're flying high. They're like, we got the world by the tail. We know exactly what we're doing. But what they did is they disrupted the status quo. And if you know anything about life, when you disrupt the status quo, some haters come out of the woodwork. Now, the challenge for the disciples is that the haters that came out of the woodwork, they had some real authority. It was the Roman government that wasn't really sure that they liked what was happening. It was the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish court that they would have submitted themselves to that wasn't really sure what was happening. And so there's imprisonment. There's threats of further imprisonment. There's threats that they will be punished even beyond imprisonment with their life. And in Acts chapter 4, I love how the disciples begin to respond. They say this, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They didn't say, God, remove the threats. God, get me out of the predicament. No, they came together as a community and said, we understand the charge that we've been given and we pray that we overcome the threats with great boldness to speak and proclaim your word. Then in Acts chapter 5, it's continuing to unfold and it says this, the apostles, they were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin, a court, to be questioned by the high priest. The high priest says this, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, being the name of Jesus. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied like this, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We're witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given us. God's given to those who obey him. This community responded with great boldness. They're in court under authority, and they said, I get what you're saying, but we have a mandate that is even greater. We are witnesses to Christ's death and resurrection, so we must obey and speak his truth. We have to understand this. The crucifixion and resurrection fueled a movement that began at Pentecost and remains actively burning today. See, our boldness 
comes from Christ's boldness. Our ability to be bold in our faith and bold in community one to another comes from the fact that Jesus Christ was so bold, he accepted the assignment to step down from heaven, to take on flesh, to live sinless, to die on a cross for crimes he did not commit, trusting that he would be raised from the dead on the third day, and from that he launched his church. When you let it sink down deep in your soul that the Savior of the world died for you, not, not, not for all, but for you individually, right where you are, it brings forth a boldness in your life and a commitment to community because you recognize that God reaches the world, not through individuals, but through community. So here's a few things we can do to be bold in 2024. The first is this. We can be bold in our speech. I say this, and I think people go to some extreme places in their life. You think bold in your speech, and so I'm going to challenge our mindset and our thinking about what it means to really be bold in your speech. I want you to just ask yourself right there where you are, what are you speaking? Ask yourself, what am I speaking? What do I speak to myself? What do I speak to those that are around me? Is what I'm speaking community building or is it destructive in nature? See, when I say being bold in our speech, I'm not saying be the guy that stands on the corner and tells everyone they're going to hell. It worked in the 80s, not so effective in 2023, four, whatever we're in, not sure. (laughs) Building a building right now, okay? Stick with me. (laughs) If you'll be the last to criticize and the first to encourage, you'll have the boldest speech everywhere you go in today's world. If you'll interact with people that you even disagree with, but you'll do it from a place of love, joy, hope, peace, patience, kindness, temperance, self-control, you'll have the boldest speech in every room that you walk into. In fact, if you'll be the last to criticize and the first to encourage, what you'll find is the utter lack of encouragement that exists in the world. And some of you are great at it, and it's actually a spiritual gift enumerated in Scripture, that encouragement is a spiritual gift that we receive through Christ Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you'll be the last to criticize and the first to encourage, you'll find people will flock to you like a moth to a flame. Because you will be the light in the dark room. You want bold speech? Be the last to criticize. Be the first to encourage. See, Scripture tells us that we are to speak truth. We don't run from that responsibility. But Scripture also tells us that we're to speak with grace and truth. Not to simply stand on the corner and tell everybody what is wrong, but to point people to the one that can make it right. It's exactly what Peter does on the day of Pentecost. He comes out and he's speaking this message and he makes it clear in Acts 2, Acts 4, Acts 5. He's like, hey, y'all participated in killing Jesus. But he says this, 
repent for forgiveness. Peter says, no, 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 I want you to repent, not because I need you to be bound by the thing that you're repenting of, but because I need you to step into forgiveness. Then Peter goes on to say, after you have repented and you're walking in forgiveness, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gifts through which you can function and fulfill the purpose of your life. And then he goes on to say, oh, hey, guys, and not just that. It's not just for you. It's for generations. It's for everyone everywhere that will come into contact with you. Yeah, that's good news. Peter doesn't say, you screwed it all up. You messed it all up. So you have to repent because you suck. No, he says, I want you to repent for forgiveness. And from that forgiveness, you will receive gifts from the Holy Spirit that will enable you beyond your wildest imagination. And it won't stop with you. It will extend for generations to come. Bold in our speech. This is where some of the accountability comes in community. And it's so important that we recognize that in accountability... Grace is a requirement. Otherwise, it is just criticism. Bold in our speech. The second thing I'm praying that we would be bold with in 2024 is bold with our feet. That we would take advantage of opportunities to actually build community. As we studied last week, hospitality is a biblical principle that we would actually put it into practice in our life. But here's the truth. I said bold with our feet because if you are to live in community, you will have to step outside of your comfort zone. You have to take a step past what makes you comfortable. And I believe one of the reasons that we have a difficult time taking this step in biblical community is because we're asking the wrong question. If we're being honest with ourselves, me included, when we think about entering a new community, whether it be a church, whether it be a a new team at a job, whether it be a friend group, a new neighborhood that you moved into, maybe not even consciously, but subconsciously, what we tend to ask is, I wonder what I can get from them. I wonder what they have to offer me. I wonder if they're fun. I wonder if they're cool. I wonder if they can cook well. I wonder if I wear the same size shoe as them. What we should be asking is, I wonder what I can give. I wonder what value I can add to their life. I wonder what opportunities I can create for them. I wonder what insight, love, encouragement, wisdom I could share with that group. You got to step outside your comfort zone. You got to be bold with your feet. In fact, Some of you in this room have been in church so long that you have forgotten that as a mature believer, you're called to new believers and non-believers. But you want to know one of the most challenging things about taking on a mentorship relationship is it's really uncomfortable. Like it's hard to walk with someone through challenging times or through immaturity or through moments where you just want to look at them and say, you're an idiot. (laughs) It's not that hard. 
just stop. You're going to have to step outside of your comfort zone to really find the community that God's calling you to. We got to be bold with our feet. We got to take advantages of opportunity to actually build community. And when we do that, you know what we are doing? We're fulfilling the B, the belonging, because we're making space for everyone, everywhere, to come into community and to grow in their spiritual faith, to grow in their emotional responses, to grow in relationship one to another, and to grow into a community that is committed not to us, but to reaching a lost and dying world. Imagine if Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and he's like, I walked with Jesus. You didn't. I left my job for Jesus. You didn't. I have stories to tell of his signs and his wonders and his miracles, and you don't. So now you have to do what I say because I know the best and I'm the smartest and I'm the only one with real relationship with Jesus. So he says it all. He says, guys, I walked with him and I witnessed it and I saw it and I want you to repent so bad because I want you to have the forgiveness that he's already given me and I want you to receive the gifts that he's already given me and I want them to flow through you to affect the community around you. I want you to go back home from this festival, from this day, and I want you to take the good news of Jesus with you. I want your life to be transformed just like my life has been transformed. Peter doesn't say, you don't get it, you don't understand. He says, no, 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 it's my life. Life's work to share more of Jesus Christ with those that know him the least. That's our calling as a church. That's why we exist as a community of believers. So be bold with our speech and bold with our feet. And the final thing is this. Let's be bold with our invitation. Create opportunities for others to hear about Jesus and find life giving community you know one of the ways that you care for those that you don't yet know through those cards on your seat and through the clicks when we begin to promote that grand opening on social media I want you to think about how great an opportunity is to invite somebody on February the 25th it's like a free invitation right you don't even have to invite them to hear about Jesus or to go to church right you can just invite them to come see a new building And we know that people are curious and want to see a new building. It's why open houses on Sunday are full of people that aren't actually going by. You're just inviting them to be the snoop that they already want to be. But it's caring for them. It's valuing them. It's saying, I see you, I recognize you, and I know your worth, not because of what I say it is, but because Jesus Christ has already defined it through his bloodshed on a cross and it's not just an invitation to see a new building it's an invitation to new life in Jesus Christ which is why we exist can I challenge you for a minute before we dismiss some of us have forgotten the difference Christ made in our lives we've forgotten what it is to live without hope to wonder what eternity holds. And I pray that you find your boldness again. Some of us have just been distracted by life. 
just too busy, too successful. God answered all of our prayers from five years ago, and we forgot. I pray that you remember and find your boldness again. Because it's time that we start looking for opportunities to lead people to new life in Christ. We're moving not because a building matters, but we're moving to give them room to find real community, accountability, and belonging, and care. And it's when we're committed to this cause that the church becomes a movement and not a monument. It's when we're committed to this cause that God continuously shows up and pours out his favor and blessing. And I know it can be intimidating to live in community. I know it can be intimidating to be bold with your speech and with your feet and with your invitation. But can I ask you, those of you that believe in the room, are you sorry that someone told you about Jesus? Like, are you sorry that someone invited you to church? Are you sorry that that grandma loved you enough to pray for you when you were living for hell? Like, I don't ever sit in my office and someone sits down there like, you know what, I'm just so tired of people loving me and praying for me and caring for me. And I'm so tired of people being encouraging and hope-filled and peace-filled in my life. I'm just so sick and tired of people acting like Jesus. Never once is that a conversation that I've had. I think we forget that. Like, there's an open door that the Holy Spirit kicked open so that you and I could be bold with our speech, with our feet, and with our invitation so that we can reach the world through this community. Why does it matter? Because together... We can do anything. Locked arm in arm, fighting for one another, believing for one another, covering each other in prayer, creating accountability and a place to belong and caring, genuinely caring one for another. We can do anything. We will be the light on the hill here and when we move because it's what God's called us to. We are his witnesses and we have a heavenly mandate. So let's go be the church. Heavenly Father, we love you, we praise you, we thank you for who you are. God, I'm so grateful for the way that you're moving in this place. I'm so grateful for the opportunity that you've given me to shepherd. I'm so grateful for every individual that is here today. And God, I pray that we would be a bold community in 2024 that we would be fully committed to seeing more of you and less of us, to seeing those that are far from you return and receive and repent so that they can walk in your forgiveness and your gifting, not just for themselves, but for generations to come. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, and maybe you're in this room today, maybe you're watching online, and you would say that you're just not a church person. You're not a follower of Jesus. I want you to know that we believe something happened 2,000 plus years ago for the benefit of everyone, everywhere. God revealed himself in the person of Jesus, and Jesus gave up his life for all of us. And I want you to hear this with great clarity. Jesus didn't die for church people. Jesus died for people, people, everyone 
everywhere. He died for me and he died for you. And if you've never made Jesus the Savior of your life, I want to give you that opportunity right here, right now, to just repeat this prayer after me. And we're all going to say it together because we are one bold community. Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending your Son, Jesus, to die for my sins. Today, I acknowledge that Jesus is my Savior. We say it on the precious, powerful, and holy name of Jesus, and everybody said a great big. Come on, give Jesus some praise.